Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in multiple locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information on our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. What's up, friends and fam in the room? My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Revo. If I hadn't had the chance to meet you, hello. If you're joining us online, thanks for, hey, big, big people in the uh, cheap seats upstairs. Let's go. <laughs> okay, all right. Calm down, okay, calm down. <laughs> Just getting started. Hey, those of you joining us online in the really far away cheap seats, um, thanks, for, thanks for joining us today. Hey, a little public service announcement. Uh, we only have six more shopping days until Christmas. All right, so let's be real. If you have not ordered it online by now, you are not going to get it, okay? It's time for plan B. If you have not gotten it from the store yet, it might not be in stock. We might be at the moment right here on the 19th of December where your only option left is a gift card. And do not let anybody badmouth a gift card. People will tell you, it's like, gift cards are so impersonal. Listen, you can be impersonal to me anytime you want to be with a gift card. I will take it. Gift cards are the best presents. But uh, listen, it reminds me of uh, my favorite gift card story over the holidays. I got to share this with you. Uh, when I lived in New Orleans, I was a part of a ministry team that traveled around the country. We did uh, student, uh, young adult, college events. We had a band and a whole team that we traveled with. And uh, one, one particular year, our team had a Christmas party. It was like a dirty Santa gift exchange party. And uh, so we told everybody to, to bring a gift. And so we had a lot of fun with that. And, but at the end, I got behind the Christmas tree and I pulled out one box that was left. And I looked at the team, there's about 15 people in the room. I looked at the team, I said, all right, here's the deal. I have one gift left. You don't know what this is. I'm not gonna tell you what this gift is. Now, would anyone in the room like to exchange the gift that they have for whatever is in this box? You don't know what's in this box. There could be nothing in this box. There could be everything in this box. Like, does anyone want to exchange their gifts? And out of the 15 people, only one guy was willing to roll the dice. His name was Adam. He was our drummer. And so Adam said, I'll exchange my gift for whatever's in that box. I, I hand him the box. He gives me his gift, which was a nice gift that, that he had received. He opens up the box and a huge smile comes across his face because he pulls out a Starbucks gift card. And on the back of the gift card written in black Sharpie marker was $100. And he was so fired up about it. He was rubbing it in the face of everybody else that was in the room. Everybody else was like, oh, man, I can't believe I didn't take that gift. And uh, so we had a good time. And the, the rest of the team left. We were hosting it at our house. And, um, and, and after they left, Elizabeth asked me, um, she said, I, I didn't realize that we were going we to give $100. Because Elizabeth knew that that was her money. <laughs> like She bought that. And uh, she was like, I didn't realize we were going to do $100. And I said, hey, check this out. I didn't tell anybody, but here's the deal. There weren't, wasn't any money on that Starbucks gift card. <laughs> it's just a blank card, and I just wrote $100 on it. It's like part of the Dirty Santa. Ha, ha, Dirty Santa. And I said, I didn't tell anybody, but it's going to be so much fun because in a couple of days, Adam is probably going to call me. He's going to be like, you jerk, what a jerk. And uh, so I said, it's going to be great. And so we, we, we forgot about it. Uh, about a week later, uh, our ministry team was traveling to New Mexico to do a college event. And all of our team got together. We were traveling together. And we decided before we left New Orleans, we were going to stop at Starbucks. And the favor of God was shining upon my life because Adam walks in the door 
And he picks that gift card up and he says, hey guys, I'm buying the drinks today. I try to get him out of it. I'm like, Adam, you know what, man? That's mighty generous of it. You don't need to be buying my drinks, man. I need to buy my own drink. Don't worry about mine. He's like, listen, man, I got a gift card. I got this. I was like, all right, well, then extra whipped cream on mine. You know, like, who cares? Another, another shot, another, it's going to be a dollar, sir. It doesn't matter. He's buying 15 people walk through the line at Starbucks. Have you been to Starbucks lately? 15 drinks is like a mortgage. And so like, this is a big payment right here. So I get, I, I order mine and I get to the station where you pick your drink up. And that's when I decide I'm going to tell everybody. And so I get everybody around, like Adam's still at the register. I'm like, guys, listen, this is going to be great. I can't believe we're going to do this. That $100 gift card that I gave Adam, it has no money on it. And he's getting ready to try to scan it. And we are going to get to be here. We're going to get to see it. The look on his face when he scans it. And so we're all just looking towards the register, all 15 of us. And and Adam pulls the card out of his wallet and he hands it to the lady and, and she scans it. And she scans it again. And she's like hitting buttons on the, and and she looks at him and she's like, I'm not close enough to hear it. And she's like, and hands it back to him. He's like, no, there's a, there's a hundred dollars on it. Like scan it one more time. She scanned it one more time, told him there's, um, there's, there's not any money left on the gift card. Adam turns around and the whole crew is looking at him like we're dying, laughing, $75, $80, like, oh, well, like, Merry Christmas. Uh, so I actually, I actually did pay for it, scanned it, Elizabeth paid for it. And uh, it was the best $75 I've ever spent at Starbucks just to be able to see, see his face when, when he tried to scan that card and, and just to be able to, to laugh together. When you think about Christmas and gifts that we share over the season, your mind probably goes to the same place mine does. Um, And that's Matthew chapter 2, the story of the wise men. Because after all, these wise men were the only people that actually brought a gift to Jesus on his birthday. And maybe you remember the gifts, gold, frankincense, and and myrrh. And so I want to talk about gifts today. Uh, I want to talk about our gift to to God during the Christmas season. And and piggybacking on this story, it's tucked into the the, the Bible in Matthew chapter 2, maybe a a shade of this story that you didn't realize you had never heard of uh, before. But I want to talk about the gifts that the wise man gave. Heads up, I'm not talking about gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because the wise man actually gave a very different gift. It's the same gift that you and I can give Jesus at Christmas time as well. You ever thought about like giving a gift to Jesus? You're talking about somebody that's like hard to buy a gift for, right? I mean, this guy has everything. And if he doesn't have it, he can snap his fingers and have it. Like, what do you get a guy that has everything? What these wise men did at this moment in history in Matthew chapter two was not just give Jesus gold, frankincense, and myrrh on his birthday. Um, They gave the gift of worship. That's what they did. And if you are looking at giving God a gift in your life, not just at Christmas time, but all year long, then I want to show you three quick things. If you're taking notes, uh, you can pull up the app. All the notes are there in the Revo app or open up your Bible. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. I want to give you three different aspects of worship that hopefully will challenge you as you think about, not just at Christmas time, but all year round, how our lives can be an act of worship 
unto, unto Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 2, it, it only takes 25 verses into the New Testament for us to see the word worship appear. Like that just goes to show you that it's a significant word. Like that's a big deal that it's on page one or two of the New Testament. We, we see this idea of worship in the text we're going to look at today is the first time we see that word in the New Testament. So Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, here's how the story starts. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, normally when you read this chapter, maybe you just gloss over that. Maybe you're like, okay, that's just the introduction, like blah, blah, blah. Here's where we are. Here's the people. Like, let's get to the real gifts. Let's get to the real aspect of the story. But, but actually right there, tucked away in the first verse, we see a lot about the story of the wise men and about worship. It's the very first thing that I want to ask you to write down. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Uh, first aspect of worship, first detail is this. Worship is demanding. Worship to God is demanding. I want you to look at this verse. Uh, the scholars tell us that the, in the text we see that these wise men, they came from the east. Uh, most scholars believe that this is around the area of Persia that they traveled from. Well, if they traveled from Persia to Bethlehem, then that means these men traveled roughly a thousand miles just to get to Jesus. And I'm not talking about catching a red-eye flight. There were no planes, trains, or automobiles for these guys back in Matthew chapter 2. In order to travel a thousand miles, they walked. They rode on horseback. They rode on a donkey or rode on a camel. I mean, a thousand miles would have been a long journey. Uh, in fact, scholars tell us that these men did not show up to the actual birth of Jesus. We'll, we'll read later in the passage that they showed up not to the manger, but to a house. And so they were not actually there when Jesus was born. So if your nativity set has the wise men, that's heresy. Throw them out, like put them upstairs or on your cabinet or back in the box or some far, far away from the nativity set, right? And so they were a long way away. But I want you to think about what it would have taken these group of men to get from Persia to Bethlehem just to worship Jesus. That would have been demanding. I mean, they walked a thousand miles most of y'all won't even walk a 5K when the YMCA has a fundraiser. But they walked a thousand miles just to see Jesus. Two years. Now think about that. They would have had to rearrange their schedule for two years. Dropped appointments. Like rearranged everything. They would have had to save up for that travel. Great expenses would have been associated with it. If they had kids, they would have missed their kids' birthdays for two years, their anniversaries for two years. Think about the amount of money that they could have made during that time. They put that jobs, that, that income, they set it aside and said, no, no, no we're going to dedicate this time, even though it's extremely demanding, we're going to dedicate this because we want to worship Jesus. Now, everyone in this room has something in common with these men that are in this story, and it's this. Everyone in this room is super busy. I mean, our schedules are packed. We have all kinds of stuff to do, not just in our professional careers, but also with our family and, and, and with our marriage, maybe if you're married or if you have kids, or, and even during the holidays, now we got parties and gift givings and travel and go see parents and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's busy. And these men would have been no different they would have been forced to ask themselves the same question that I need to ask myself this holiday season and that you have to ask yourself this way. Even though worshiping Jesus is demanding, are you going to do it? 
Even though it's going to take, sometimes you have to rearrange your schedule. Uh, Sometimes it involves uh, making some financial decisions. Sometimes it involves saying no to some things maybe that you could do or want to do or that would even be beneficial to you, but you got to make that decision like worship, even though it's demanding, I want to do it. Like that's the priority for me. And like I'm telling you, it's, it's a struggle. I get it. Uh, it. It's a struggle, man, just, just to prioritize worship one day a week, right? I mean, just to get here on time, like it, it takes planning. But are you willing to meet the demands of worship? Is Jesus that important enough to you? Man, what, what, if, what if the demand was just to get up 30 minutes earlier every day just so that you could spend some time reading the Bible and spending that in prayer? Would you do it? What if it meant carving time? I know it's one day out of seven, but what if it meant carving time, like prioritizing a Sunday where we get to come into the room and worship and sing and encourage and give and open up the Bible together? What if it demanded an hour of your week? Would you do it? What if it demanded that we just show up on Christmas Eve together? Like, I know you're busy. I know you got family in town, a lot of stuff going on. But what if you made the decision that showing up and worshiping Jesus with my family on Christmas Eve, man, it just sets the whole tone for the rest of the Christmas Eve night and all day on Christmas. Like, is that worth it to you? Well, these wise men had to answer the same question that we have to answer in our lives. Like, even though worship is demanding, and it is, We make the decision whether or not we're going to do that and respond to Jesus in that way or not. Worship is demanding. Are you in? Still interested? You still want to do it? The wise men traveled all the way from the east to Bethlehem of great demand on their lives, but yet they wanted to worship Jesus. So they they went from Persia to Jerusalem, and and then in verse 2 it says, And then when they got there, they asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. First aspect, first mention of worship in the New Testament. We have come all this way. We saw a star in the sky. We have come to worship him. Second thing I want you to write down is this. We see from the wise men, worship involves humility. You are not going to be able to worship Jesus if you are not willing to humble yourself. Now, he might be reading verse 2, and he's like, I don't see the humility in there. Like, let, let me break down. Like, this verse, this scene, this single verse in the Christmas story makes absolute no sense to me. Like, I, I, I don't understand. Like, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around this. It's almost unbelievable. First and foremost, I want you to look at the question that these wise men asked when they rolled up into town. They were on a 1,000-mile journey. They were unsure of where exactly Jesus was. Like, they didn't know. And so these men, these men, emphasis on these men, stopped and asked for directions. Now you wives don't understand how difficult it is for a man to stop and admit that he is lost and ask for directions. Most of y'all, if y'all were the wise men, you'd have never got to Jesus. You'd have just been circling the city of Jerusalem. And like, if there was a woman traveling, it was like, why don't you stop for directions? She'd be like, be quiet. I know where I'm going. Like, we're just taking a scenic route. We're seeing all the lights, right? (laughs) But these men rolled up and said, we don't know where we're going. We don't know who we're looking for. We don't know where he is. And it took some great humility on their part to, to stop and say, we need some help. I don't know if there are areas of your life where you can stop and say, I need some help. 
I'm not sure where the future is going. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what the future holds. It takes great humility to be able to worship in that moment where you surrender yourself, where you humble yourself and, and seek God for those things. That took great humility. The second way, not, not just the fact that guys don't like to ask for directions, but you got to pay attention to who these guys were. These guys were extremely wealthy, uh, men of great power and influence. Jesus even talks about how difficult it is for people of great wealth to even enter the kingdom of God. Like it's really hard for rich people to get to heaven. Why is that? Because Jesus knew that oftentimes when we accrue wealth, we take our dependence off of God and onto ourselves, and instead of acting in humility, we become people of great pride. See, when I'm wealthy, I can afford to buy anything I need. If I'm lonely, I can buy stuff. If I'm not happy, I can try to buy things. I can fill my life with possessions. I have power, I have influence, I have wealth. I don't need a savior. I don't need to humble myself in front of someone else. I can do it. I can buy it. I can make it happen. I'm an influential guy. I can pull the strings. I know the people. That would have been these wise men. They knew the answers. They knew everything. They had everything in life. But think about the humility that it would have taken for someone that could purchase literally anything. I mean, when you show up to a Christmas party and you're giving away bars of gold, like you're a baller, okay? Like you you got plenty of money. You don't need anything. Yet these men of great wealth and influence stopped and said, I can buy anything my heart desires, and yet there's still something missing. There's still a hole. Something is still not right. And they were willing and able to humble themselves in that moment and say, we are searching for something. We're searching for someone. Can you help me? I wonder... If you'd be willing today to humble yourself and say, you've got a lot of things, friends, family, possessions, money, a great job, a lot of things going in your way, but would you be willing to admit that even with all of that, something is still missing, something doesn't feel complete, and that the only person that can fill that hole is Jesus? With great humility, these wealthy, affluent men stopped and said, we need something else. This can't be all there is to life third reason I know this took great humility is because Scripture tells us later in this chapter that these grown men bowed down and worshipped a toddler. Uh, Historians tell us that Jesus was roughly two years old at the time that the wise men came. Can I ask you a question? When is the last time you've hung out with a two-year-old? I've hung out with a two-year-old. I saw a two-year-old in a restaurant last night. And um, there's a reason why they call it the terrible twos. This kid was losing his mind. He was flailing his body everywhere, rolling around on the floor. Like, not, not one time have I ever been around a two-year-old, and it crossed my mind that this might be the son of God. <laughs> like, spawn of Satan? Possibly. Like, I, could, like I, could, I can for sure, I can, I can see that, like, right now. But, like, worshiping him? No, we need to exercise the demon out of this two-year-old that is losing their mind and complaining about absolutely everything. But not worship. I've never approached a two-year-old and thought, I need to get on my knees and bow down and worship and surrender my life to this two-year-old. And that is exactly what these older, affluent, wise Wealthy men did when they saw two-year-old Jesus in a house. See, true worship, real worship takes great 
humility. And that's exactly what these three wise men show. No wonder that the Bible refers to them as wise. Now, if these wise men give us the proper response to worship, if they show us what real worship is, then, then King Herod, in these next verses, show us the opposite of what real worship is and the gift of worship. In verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. He's to be born in Bethlehem in Judea, replied, for this is what was said in the Old Testament. This is what was written by the prophets. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So now Herod knows exactly where King Jesus was born. He's born in Bethlehem. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. That was significant because Herod needed to know how old Jesus was. So if the star appeared two years ago and they've been on a two-year journey, then that means this baby king is actually two-year-old Jesus. So he sent them to Bethlehem. Herod sent the wise men to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. These men had heard that a new king was born, and they did what all of us would have done, what anybody would have done, and they rolled into town and they went to the current king's house. If there's a new king coming, that means obviously the current king's wife must have had a baby. And so imagine how awkward it would have been when these three wise men show up to King Herod's house and find out that King Herod is not the baby's daddy to the new king. You say, well, if it's not you, then who? And if it's not the palace, then where? And if you don't know anything about a baby, when was the baby born? And what are all the details? And instead of responding the way that the wise men did, Herod was filled with jealousy. Instead of being humble, he was filled with jealousy. No, he's not the king. I'm the king. I'm not going to do what he says. I'm the ruler of my life. I'm the ruler of this kingdom. Nobody tells me what to do. You are not going to worship. There is not going to be another king. Like, I am the king. And how often do we say that in our lives? God, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm going to read this Bible and be like, what, this is what you want me? Please. I'm the king of my life. I do what I say to do. I'm not going to submit myself to any other authority or any other king. I'm the boss. That's what Herod said. And out of humility, instead of meeting the demands of worship, did you notice what Herod did? He didn't take time off to go see Jesus. He didn't make the trip. He sent the wise men to do it. He looked at the wise men and said, here's the deal, fellas. I am way too important for this. I am way too powerful. I am way too influential. I don't have time in my busy schedule to go and spend time with Jesus. So here's what you do. You guys go, send me a postcard. Send me a picture of it, and then I'll go later. And Herod had some very different plans for what he was going to do if he ever found Jesus. So not willing to meet the demands of worship himself, not willing to humble himself and even admit that there was a possibility there was someone that was king over his life that was not him. That's how Herod responded. But once the king released the wise men, told him where Bethlehem was and how to get there, verse 9 it says, After they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. 
They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Finally, the gifts, right? They opened up these three very significant, very, very expensive gifts that they would have presented to Jesus. And it reminds me of the last point I want to share with you. Um, Real, true worship always involves sacrifice. Worship always involves sacrifice. These three men said, we have come to worship Jesus. We have set aside our plans, our goals, our dreams, our calendars, our finances. We have set aside our own attitude and our hearts. We have set all of that aside because we want to bring a gift to Jesus. We want to worship the King. My wife Elizabeth and I, we have this thing that we do with with our siblings. Um, When we give gifts at Christmas, we talk ahead of time about how much we're going to spend. Right? Like, let's just get all get on the same page. Like, how much are you going to spend? And I will spend, I'll get you a gift of the same amount. Because, listen, nothing is worse. I don't know if you've been here before. Nothing is worse than doing a gift exchange between you and somebody else. And you give them a gift. And they give you a gift. And when you open up the gift that they gave you, you realize this is a lot nicer gift than what I just gave them. You ever been here before? That's the worst, Right? Like, I don't want my brother giving me a $200 gift card to Ruth's Chris, and I give him a $20 gift card to McDonald's. Like, I'm going to feel bad about it. Like, if I, if, I, if I open up a $200 gift card to Ruth's Chris, I'm going to tell him I left his present at home. I'm like, I'm not even going to give it to him. I'm going to go run home later after Christmas, go buy $200 worth of something and mail it to him. I am not swapping a $200 gift for a $20 gift. Like, that's just not right. And when I think about the worship and our gift to Jesus— I ask myself this, am I bringing God a $20 gift card when he has given me something of infinite value? My everyday life, I'm not not just talking about today during the Christmas season, but, but every day of my life is an act of worship to God. Every day I bring something to God and I give that gift to him. Have you ever thought about the gift that God has given you? And how much it cost. The Bible says that God loved you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, that was born at Christmas but died on Easter. And he died for you so that your sins could be forgiven. What an extravagant gift. What an incredible act of generosity and love on behalf of God to you. So when we walk in these doors every Sunday... When we get up every morning and it's our opportunity to offer a gift to God. And don't, don't get it confused. We are not trying to like pay God back. It, like God's not saying, now here's your gift. Now the one you give me better be really good, right? Or I'm gonna take this back. No, God gives that freely, no strings attached. But our act of worship is a response to that. God doesn't say you have to in order to get this gift from me. No, we just realize what we have in our hands is an incredible gift. So costly so valuable, so much that God has done for you. And so every day, now you and I have the opportunity to decide, now what gift are we going to give to God? Not out of obligation, but out of gladness, out of the overflow of our heart. And so every time we volunteer an hour, every time we get up early and spend time in the Word and spend time in prayer, every time we give, like literally give, Physically, whether it's online or you drop it in the offering basket or you text it or whatever you do, however you do it, every time you do, does it ever cross your mind like this is a gift that I'm giving 
in response to an incredible gift that has been given to me. And I just don't wanna be the guy that comes up to God every single day with a tip after all he's done for me. Not after all he's given me. Not after the extravagant love he's poured out on me. Not after the forgiveness that he's given me. Not after the mercy that he's given me and the grace that I experienced. Not after the salvation. Not after how he changed my life. That is not, no, I don't want to be that guy. So again, not out of obligation, but just sitting here and realizing, man, have you ever thought about the power of the gift that God has given me? And how am I going to respond to that? Because true worship always involves sacrifice. Why? Because God sacrificed for you when he gave his son Jesus so that you could experience life abundantly. Story ends with verse 12. It says, after having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I love that. Because once you experience real worship, you can't be the same on the other end of it. You can't be the same person. Not when you realize what Jesus has done for you. You can't talk the same. You can't act the same. You can't treat people the same. You can't have the same attitude. You can't say the same words. Your relationships won't be the same. Your marriage, your kids, like nothing about your life. Scripture says like they went back a totally different way. They could not return the same way that they walked in. See, that's what worship does. These guys thought that they were going to come into Jesus and actually give him something. And they walked away realizing that when we worship God, he gives us even more than we could possibly imagine. That's my hope for you today. That as we think about Christmas coming at the, the end of the week and then think about what God could do in 2022 and we're praying towards that. Man, just for us to take a moment, even if it's just right now, a quick moment and think, God, what is the proper response need to be from me for the gift that you have given how do I need to respond in worship I know it's demanding I know it's going to take humility I know it's going to be sacrificial but I want to be the one that understands the gift that's been given to me and to respond in gratitude to respond in thankfulness and to respond in worship as I think about all that Jesus has done for me you want to worship what does it mean to you how much is the gift? I'm not asking you to, to say it. I'm asking you to prove it. How much is the gift that God has given you to change your life when he sent his son, Jesus? Let me pray for you. God, I'm challenged by this, challenged by this story, by these men and their generosity, by their willingness to scrap everything, just put everything about their life on hold so that they could get to Jesus like they knew there was something to be found in that baby boy. There was something that was worthy of a gift of extravagance, that, that the humility that it would have taken for them to, to bow down and worship the newborn king. And God, these men did that even without knowing that one day that same baby would grow up to be a man that would die on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. God, we are clear on that. So how much more of a response should we give knowing the gift that you have given us? God, give us the wisdom to know what to do with the words that we have just heard. 
and move forward as we every day, not just today, not just during Christmas, but every day we offer our lives as an act of worship unto you. Ask those things in your son Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Revo Podcast. We believe everyone has a next step to take in their relationship with Jesus. If you would like more information on what that means for you, or if you have any questions about today's message, please email us at info at discoverrevo.com.